Hey there, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. Today, we are going to talk about the podcast The Whisperer in Darkness, the novel The Wives by Taryn Fisher, and the pilot of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So, K-Dubs. Yes. Did you finish The Case of Charles Dexter Ward? I am literally in the middle of the last episode of it. I was listening to it while I was working out the other day, but I didn't finish it and I have not had a chance to get back to it. So, Okay. Well, you should finish it soon. I will. I will try not to spoil the ending, but I went on a little road trip a couple weeks ago and I decided to download the second season, which is called The Whisperer in Darkness. It's also a podcast. It's made by the same people, BBC Radio 4. It has the same characters in it. So Matthew Haywood and Kennedy Fisher are back, which is exciting for me because I really liked them. Yes. And it picks up a little bit afterward. There's a a little bit of a time jump. And I can't tell you what happens at the end of season one. Okay. Something happens and something is mysterious. And you're kind of like, it ends on a cliffhanger. Oh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I should have given you a heads up to try to finish it. (laughs) But then, gosh, I don't even know how to transition because I can't tell you what the cliffhanger was. (laughs) But, okay, so season two picks up with Matthew getting a call from our favorite professor, Dr. Eleanor Peck. Oh, (laughs) yay. She's back a little bit, which was fun. So she gets a call. She starts getting some weird calls from a former student named Henry Akeley. And she just kind of doesn't know what to make of it. He's acting very out there. And then the weirdest thing is he calls one last time and is like, you know what? Never mind. I'm fine now. And it's just like weird, you know? And she asked Matthew to look into it and they find out that Henry has been missing for a month. and No one knows where he is. So He and Kennedy get together, and the first episode is just him laying out what's happened, what's going on, and um, deciding if they should look into it, because, you know, it's one thing to look into a case, and what if it turns out to be nothing, and what if they don't really have a podcast after that, because they have to go searching for something new, so they have to decide if it's worthwhile, and they go and check out his house, and some weird stuff goes down. So one of the things that they find is, well, here, I guess, is they start hearing static when they're at his house. And there are words in the static that keep getting repeated, but they are sort of a nonsense language. And it's by a kid. Ew! Yeah, it's the voice of a kid. And before the recording plays, because it's just, it plays over and over again, Mm -hmm. there's like a little kid's tune like do 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 like something like that and then this kid starts talking nonsense and you're just like i am really creeped out right now <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was i was on like a four and a half hour drive and when i left it was still light out but oh. like an hour-ish into the trip it was pitch dark mm-hmm. and like my gps took me there on like highways and it was cool and then my gps took me home on these like back roads (laughs) where it was like 50 miles an hour and pitch black and these turns and i was just i was listening to this and there was this creepy kid and i was just like (laughs) i'm gonna die i'm gonna die (laughs) but 
I really liked it. I listened to almost the whole thing just straight through on the way home on this drive. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was very happy that I had a long drive. I was like, oh, what am I going to listen to? I finished my audiobook on the way there, and then I started one I didn't like, and then thankfully I found this, and I was like, oh, I'm really into this. So there are 10 episodes-ish. I can't really give it away, but... The ninth and ten episodes are a little bit strange. They differ from the first eight. Okay. So it's more like eight episodes. Just putting that out there. Okay. And it deals with some really weird stuff. Basically, if you like the case of Charles Dexter Ward, I think you would like this. Okay. There's less about the Cthulhu mythos, but it's still based on a novella from 1931 by H.P. Lovecraft of the same name, The Whisper in Darkness, so I will honestly probably check that out and see what it's like. And they talk a lot about the Rendlesham Forest incident, which, have you heard of that? I haven't, and I, I'm kind of surprised because, yeah, ex- explain what that was. Because I really like UFO things, so I'm, I don't know why I haven't heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't heard of this either. And one of the things that I really enjoy about this podcast is it incorporates real life stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So after I was finished with it, I had to go and be like, wait, did this stuff actually happen? And some of it did. Mm. So the Rendlesham Forest incident is, they described it as the British Roswell. It happened in 1980. And there were a number of UFO sightings outside an Air Force base that was being used by the American Air Force. Okay. But it was in Britain. Yes, it was in England. Okay. So yeah, it deals a lot with like UFOs and kind of aliens. And they introduce this thing called the department and people show up from the department. First, they try to tell Matthew that he shouldn't trust Kennedy. And then they're trying to like help them along to stop the big thing that's going to happen. Sorry, I'm trying to not (laughs) give you like a lot of details. But There's one whole episode where they kind of explain everything that's going on. Matthew talks to Eleanor again, and it's kind of like Matthew and Kennedy are on one side, and then the bad guys are on another side, and then the department is on a totally third side. Oh. Yeah, it's a little bit like the department's not super friendly, but they have the same angle, but different reasons to do it. So that was really cool. I thought they introduced some really cool characters. I loved that they brought Eleanor Peck back. And mostly I just, I really enjoy that it's only a set amount of short episodes. They're only 30 minutes about. And I like that it was all scripted, but not not scripted to feel scripted. (laughs) Yeah. Well, season one was kind of like that, where if you didn't know it was fiction, you might, you might think it's not fiction, but I mean, what's going on is so outlandish that it's hard to believe it, but they, the way the actors behave is very realistic. So yes. I think maybe that's just what I'm trying to say. I like that it's a fictional podcast, I guess. Yeah. But it's a fun story and it answers some questions that you might have left after the first season um, and introduces some new things and gives you some new questions to ask. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. So I would highly recommend it. I'm going to get on it. I just, yeah, I'm. I've been slow with that. I this This year for 2020, I made a resolution that I was not going to listen to news podcasts anymore, which were taking up a huge amount of time and emotional energy and listen to more stuff like this. So I'm excited to get to it. Well, I hope you like it when you do get to it. Yeah. 
So instead of podcasting, you have been reading something really good, right? Yes. I read this really, really quickly. Um, this book called The Wives, um, written by Taryn Fisher. It came out in late 2019, and I actually had it recommended to me by my hairdresser. She's in a book of the month club, and she said she read this in like two days or something. And I was like, ooh, something that would really compel you to read it that quickly. I'm all excited about it. And I can't say that it's the kind of novel that I would have picked up. It reminded me a lot of Gone Girl and Girl on the Train, but it's a little different. It's about this. You don't learn her na- the name of the narrator until like three quarters of the way through the book. Oh. So I'm going to just say the, the unnamed narrator. Okay. But the unnamed narrator, she is married. Um, she's a nurse and she's married to a guy who works in like real estate development or construction or something. They live in, I'm going to get it mixed up. It's the action takes place in both Seattle and Portland. And I can't remember which city she lives in and which city he lives in, but they don't live together all of the week because of his business. So they really only spend one night a week together. And then sometimes they get a weekend together, but that's about it because he's married to two other women. (gasps) Wait, does she know that? Yes, she knows that. And he talks about it, but um, they refer to the names of the other wives as the days of the week that he spends with them. So she is the wife that he is with on Thursdays. And so there is a and another wife of a different day of the week and another wife of a different day of the week. Like there's a Monday and a Wednesday or something. And so she doesn't know their names. She's never met them. She doesn't know very much about them unless he chooses to tell her something, but he doesn't really talk about them a lot. So yeah, she, she tries not to be jealous, but she kind of gets jealous more and more jealous over time, even though they've been together for a while. And it becomes clear after a point that she can't have children and his most recent wife is pregnant. Oh. It's really difficult to speak about this book. It, like, it's difficult to talk about The Whisper in Darkness because it is like every single chapter, you're not sure what actually is true. She ends up, her jealousy starts to get peaked because the, the younger wife is pregnant. But also she accidentally sees a receipt in his pocket with her name on it. Oh. she. Googles and Facebook searches, and she finds out this woman's what she looks like, where she lives, and she goes there. Yikes! And it just kind of goes from there. And every every chapter, you're not sure is the narrator sane, is the husband abusive? There are secrets and lies being told here, mm-hmm. and it's really unclear who's lying about what and who's telling secrets about what but it's a big twist on the idea of sister wives because like the reason that he's got these three wives is purported to be because he did grow up in a variation of uh, fundamentalist mormon church but the fact that he doesn't want the wives to know each other is really different because usually right that's not how those things go down we've both watched sister wives on tlc mm-hmm. and they know each other they live in houses adjacent to each other they're not necessarily friends, but they're aware of each other in a much more concrete way. Right. That was actually going to be my question. So Thursday is the main woman, the main narrator. Yeah. She knows about the other ones. Do the other yeah. wives know about each other too? Well, I mean, 
Thursday acts like they know about her. She is operating under the belief that they know about her. Okay. But they, like her, presumably do not know who she is. So Hmm. they do and they don't. Yeah, they know about there being other wives, but they don't know who they are. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But in terms of like techniques and, and writing craft and stuff, there's a strong sense of an unreliable narrator at play here. Like Gone Girl, there's a sense of there's going to be some twists that are maybe telegraphed, but but it's unclear how concretely. I would honestly, I don't I don't know that I'm going to reread it, but in order to like be able to tell if certain things were foreshadowed very much, I'd have to almost reread it because I I did feel in the end like the only criticism I would say is I'm not sure that I felt like everything that's revealed was really foreshadowed enough that a reader could guess it okay but that's also kind of cool because then you're just like everything's just a big shock over and over (laughs) taryn fisher has written a lot of books she's written 10 books but she's also co-written some books and i noticed that on her website her little tagline her promo line is i write about villains which is a little i don't know that that's a tell or a spoiler for this book but i can tell there's a sense with all of her books that she is interested in the nuances and the gray areas and, you know, maybe that nobody's really a hero and nobody's really a villain, but that everybody is capable of both. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Cause I just finished listening to you by Carolyn Kepneys. Yeah. Yesterday. And that's definitely a book about a villain. And yeah, I'm really interested in authors who want to do that. I guess it depends on what your definition of villain is. Like, Joe is definitely a villain to me, but I'd have to read this to kind of figure it out. I really like morally gray characters, Mm -hmm. but would I call them villains? I don't know. Well, and the reason why someone may be acting in ways that are not necessarily heroic, let's say, or, or really objectively good, I mean, if the reason is something that isn't bad, they may not think that their actions are bad. That's true. Yeah. In the edition that I read of this, there's a little Q&A with the author in the end, almost like a little book club thing that you can use as a study guide. And one of her things is that she is a feminist and wants to reveal like how systematic things can lead to gender-based oppression. Okay. So, you know, if you think about the underpinnings of why somebody might do something Think about systems that are working against them. I don't think that's the case of Joe and you. He's the epitome of a privileged individual yeah. in many in many ways. Maybe not every way, but in many ways. So yeah, I don't know. I think you would enjoy this book. It it is a very quick read. Like I said, I read it so fast, and I I can tend to take a while reading, even though I love to read and I read a lot. I can sometimes take a while to read a novel because. If it's really good, I like to really savor the craft of it and kind of unpack how it's constructed. And this, I did kind of fly through it faster than usual because the plot was so compelling. So, Yeah, I totally get that. That's cool. I placed a hold on it in my library as an audiobook, but I'm number 55. Oh, so. <laughs> it'll be a while. And I did not listen to it on audio, so I'd be curious to hear how the audio, how that is as an audiobook. I listened to you too and the narrator was really good for that so i really feel like the narrator for books like these 
can kind of tip you to one side or to the other in, in terms of whether you can see where the narrator is coming from, you know? Well, and that's interesting. The narrator for you, is that told first person from Joe's point of view? It is. So is it a guy reading it? I thought, didn't you read it? No, I've only seen the show. I didn't read it. Oh, you haven't read it? No. Oh, okay. So it's really interesting because it's first person, but he's telling the story to Beck. So it's also in second person. Okay. It's really interesting. And you'll probably get a kick out of this. The guy who read it is Santino Fontana. Oh, yeah. From Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? From Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, I love him. That's (laughs) awesome. Oh, that's I could see him playing that character, though. That's really, that's really creepy. Yeah, he was really good. Cool. I might check that out. Well, the, the thing that we watched together this week is certainly not, I mean, there's villains in it, but I would say that our protagonist is pretty clearly heroic, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would. And I enjoyed that. Yes. So we are talking about the Sarah Connor Chronicles. It was our pilot watch for this week. Did I pick it or did you pick it? It probably doesn't matter. I think we kind of both picked it. It was on a list that we were considering. And then you saw the newer Terminator film. Mm-hmm. So that may have pushed it to the top of our list. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you give the background? Yeah. So um, the official title of this is Terminator colon, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. <laughs> and this was on Fox from January of 2008 to April of 2009. There's only two seasons. There's only 31 episodes. But when this came out, it was incredibly, incredibly critically acclaimed. I do remember that. And I know that when it got canceled, when it was not renewed for a third season, there was a huge like campaign to try to save it. I'm not sure why it was canceled other than maybe low ratings, but it was always nominated for awards and it it was always well reviewed. I did watch it when it was on, but not super religiously. And seeing the pilot again, I can tell why it got good reviews because it's mm-hmm. I thought it was really well done. I agree. Yeah. I actually didn't really remember any of that stuff. I also watched it when it came out, but I don't think I watched every single episode. And I didn't really remember that there was a big outcry when it was canceled. Mm. But I'm just kind of looking it up now. And the first episode debuted to like 18 million viewers, which is incredibly high. Yeah. If I had to guess, it might be a budget thing. Maybe. But I don't I really don't know. If people are not familiar with the Terminator series of films, I was a little bit surprised. Okay, so this takes place after Terminator 2. Yes. Yes. So there was Terminator from 1984, Terminator 2 was a sequel, and then this is set right after the events of Terminator 2. And the other thing that I was struck by is that there is not a lot for people to hang on to who are not familiar with Terminator, to be honest. There's not. I don't really remember how I understood it when I first saw it because I didn't know anything about okay about the world, you know. Yeah, I know more now because I've I've seen the most recent one. But there are still moments where they reference things or they go and and see someone, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I don't know who this person yeah. is. <laughs> but it's very clearly a a callback to the original films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just a very quick summary is essentially Sarah Connor is our is our heroine. She has a son named John Connor, uh, whose father was a time traveler, but that's not really that important. But he is destined in the future to be this 
savior of humanity because in the future, this evil sentient computer entity named Skynet is going to cause a nuclear war and take over the world and people will be completely oppressed and subjugated throughout the world. So it's, it's essentially a dystopian society that happens in the not too distant future. So in the first film, the evil Terminator who is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger is sent back in time to kill Sarah Connor to prevent her son from being born before he's even conceived. And then basically the same thing happens here. They're, they're sending Terminators back to try to kill John when he's 15 ish. Yeah. John is played by Thomas Decker, who we've actually seen before in heroes. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He popped up in heroes Mm -hmm. and Sarah Connor is played by Lena Headey. (laughs) We had to look up her name (laughs) or how to pronounce her name. And if you've watched Game of Thrones, she is Cersei in that. One of my favorite things that she's been in, though, is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, (laughs) where she was Lady Catherine de (laughs) Bourgh. And if you recall our very first episode where I was talking about the silly movies that I like, that is definitely up there (laughs) and it also stars richard t jones as james ellison who is he an fbi guy i think he's supposed to be in the fbi that was a little unclear but yeah okay yeah so he's he's kind of after sarah and playing a cat and mouse game all at the same time while the terminators are chasing her so there's a lot to run from yes and there's a summer glow isn't it as well yeah i forgot about her sarah and john kind of well, Sarah has decided that they've been in one place for too long, and they pick up and move to a, a tiny town, I think in California still. I think so. And John starts going to a new school, and Summer Glau plays another student there who tries to befriend him. And when a Terminator, played by Owen Yeoman, who, I mean, he's a big guy, he comes and tries to terminate John, and we find out that Summer... Summer's character, I don't even actually know. Does she have a name? Cameron. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Which is an homage to um, James Cameron, who directed the first Terminator films. There you go. We find out that Cameron is some sort of Terminator, obviously not the bad kind, um, but she protects John. What I, one of the things that I liked about these interactions was Summer is so tiny mm-hmm. and Owen Yeoman is so big. So I just thought those fight scenes were really interesting. Yeah, those were impressive. And you see a lot of how the Terminators can't travel back in time with any objects. And so Cromarty is the evil Terminator and he has like a gun embedded in his leg and he has to like cut it out of his own leg. And she's able to take him down later and explains that if they don't get away from him quickly, the systems reboot in 120 seconds or something. So Mm -hmm. these things are nigh indestructible. It's really impressive, but they look humanoid. They're completely like, you know, they're these giant AI robots, but they are human looking. So it's kind of terrifying. I mean, I've seen the movie, one of the recent movie, and it's two hours of them running from this guy who just won't stop, you know, and that's scary. And I found myself while watching this episode, I was kind of like, there's 31 episodes of this. I'm going to have an anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) 
it is pretty intense, I will say. There's there's no room for moments of peace. It's just movement. You're running, you're on the road, you're time traveling, you're in peril the whole time. It's just really intense. Right. And, you know, Cameron pops up and, and Sarah is trying to decide whether she can trust her because she's obviously like been shot at and is still going and is you know is she gonna turn against them and at one point cameron leads them into a bank and i just want to say that she goes in the bank she's like i have a safety deposit box here but instead of just opening it she holds up the bank pretty much yeah yeah and she comes in she's like everybody on the floor please And I was drinking water when that happened. <laughs> I laughed and it went all of my nose. It was bad. <laughs> but like, I think one of the things that I find very fun about this show is that Cameron is such a strong kick butt character, but her her stature is so small. And she is kind of, she's not, I don't want to say mousy, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, she's, I think they probably, I, I think stuff gets revealed about her human that she's based on. She's based on a real human in the future. But I think they chose that persona for her because she's very unassuming looking. Mm-hmm. There you go, unassuming. Yeah, she doesn't draw, I mean, she's very pretty, but she also doesn't draw a lot of attention. She's got long, dark hair, and she is very small. And so you wouldn't necessarily think of her as being this, you know, incredibly dangerous being and she does have like this kind of strangely stilted overly polite way of speaking which which i think is as future episodes go on a source of moments of slight comic relief is her demeanor um which helps because otherwise this is a pretty dire dark show in in a lot of ways yeah i agree yeah i I like that aspect so she leads them into the bank and she does actually have a safety deposit box, which has keys to other safety deposit boxes. And they build a gun that Sarah is kind of in charge of wielding to hold off Cromarty, who is the big bad Terminator. And Cameron is like, this is also our way home. And it's like a time travel machine. Sarah's kind of like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> a-, a little bit earlier in the episode. John had just been like, I, I'm so tired. I can't keep running. I can't live my life like this. So Sarah promises him that she'll find a way to stop Skynet again because she's done it before. So when Cameron pops up with this proposal to travel, they're going to travel from 1999 to 2007, which is when Skynet gets created again, and they're going to stop it before it gets created. So when Cameron pops up with this proposal, I think. Sarah remembers her promise to John and she agrees to it. So they end up traveling to 2007 and establishing a home there. And that's pretty much the end of the episode, but it's implied that they're going to like kind of get to work and, and figure out their next move and, and how to stop Skynet. And the music at the end is really cool. (laughs) (laughs) The music is by Bear McCreary, who did the oh, music no for all kinds of science fiction shows, including Battlestar Galactica and stuff. So yeah, he's great. That's really cool. I, I really enjoy him. So. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought the cinematography was beautiful. I didn't notice who directed the first episode, but I thought that the the lighting was really 
like it had that kind of washed sort of Instagram filtery look to it. Like it looked really sharp, but it also had this almost like greenish sepia tone on it. Hmm. I thought, and it has a lot of like oversaturation and high contrast, which sort of screams to me like war and danger. And I really, I really liked that. And a lot of the, the scenes that when they're indoors, it's a lot of dark rooms and tiny rooms, which made it feel like everything's kind of closing in on them. And it just underscored how desperate and scared they were all the time. Those are really good points. I didn't necessarily pay attention to that. So that's cool. I like all the Terminator movies that I've seen. I haven't seen all of them. I wouldn't say this is one of my favorite time travel series, but I like that it does time travel in a different way because a lot of the films and even this show kind of erase each other's validity as being the valid timeline, Mm -hmm. which means there's all this infinite number of variations of things that happen. And I think that that also speaks to the, the sort of futility of trying to stop something so big as like this massive war brought on by technology. It's a hard thing to do. It is, yeah. Because they kind of make it clear in this episode that Sarah did stop Skynet from existing, but it still got invented by someone else. Right. I think that scene was really poignant for me. Because, yeah, there's this moment where you just realize, oh, all of this happened already. All of it's going to happen again. And it, and is it futile? Is it worth fighting still? And, and she decides to keep fighting. And it, I mean, I really liked Lena Headey. I think she's a great actress, but I really like her in this role. I think she's great. It's, a, it's an interesting take on the role, too, because I read that people were a little annoyed with her casting to begin with because Linda Hamilton played her in the films and in Terminator 2, Linda Hamilton got shredded (laughs) and was like such a physical presence, almost the opposite of Summer Glau, who's this very delicate looking young woman. Linda Hamilton, when she was in Terminator 2, looked like she could break you in half. (laughs) And Lena Headey is, she looks like fit, but she's not a muscle bound, like, clearly physically capable of fighting you a lot person. But I think that that that's part of the point of this show is that you can also fight with your mind and with cleverness and with, you know, with other tools than just physical brawn. And I think that that makes this show because it's the focus on Sarah and not John necessarily. I mean, he's obviously one of the main characters, but You've got a female Terminator here working in wary collaboration with this strong female hero. So unlike the film franchise, which is a little more masculine, a little bit more focused on John, a little bit more physically imposing, even with your female characters, that this is quieter. This is a little bit more of a intellectual feminist take on the franchise. Also a great point. Which is why I liked it when it was on. But I will say that it's it's sad and dark and it's a lot. So, I mean, saying that, I probably am not going to keep rewatching it. Okay. But I'm not opposed to that. I mean, I don't know. I might dip in and out of it a little bit. What do you think? Do you think you'll watch it? That's fair. Actually, yes. This is the first pilot we've watched where I am for sure going to keep watching. Okay. Yeah, I just, I had a lot of fun with it. It is darker than I remembered. Mm -hmm. 
but I think the first season is fairly short. I think so too. I think it's eight or 10 episodes and then there's a longer full season that's like 22 episodes. Yeah. So I'm definitely probably going to watch the whole first season and and see if I want to do the second one. I will also slightly spoil, and you might remember this from when it was on, but there is a character in season two who is played by Shirley Manson, the lead singer of Garbage, and she is amazing. So reminding even myself about that, I might actually keep watching just to see her again because she was pretty <laughs> awesome. But she she becomes like a major character. And again, you've got another female character in a main role. And so it's just, I don't know, it's, I think that the Terminator series overall, even the films, has always portrayed women pretty well, for the most part, especially after the first film. And just to see the growth of that into this pretty, I would say, clearly feminist series, that's just kind of cool. Yeah, very much so. Awesome. I'm glad we both enjoyed that. Yeah, I actually kind of put off watching it until today, just because I knew it was going to be dark. And then I once I saw it, I was like, Oh, why did I do that? This was really good. <laughs> so if those of you who have never seen it are worried that it's going to be too dark, still give it a shot. It's free streaming on IMDb TV. So yep. Yay. So next time, we're going to talk about music and writing and the creative processes behind consuming and creating them. This will be a little bit more of a freeform episode. We'll have multiple subtopics that we discuss about music and writing. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Katie Rue Taylor Writer. And me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you could do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs> <laughs>